Greetings to the listeners of The Big Red Couch. This is Ben, just letting you know that during the recording of episode 163, we had several hiccups, including last minute switch of host, extremely loud rain, a unexpected leak coming through the ceiling into the studio, that's what I call the room that I record in, and an annoying audio tick for one of our guests that all the other things distracted us from. Unfortunately, I could edit out or uh, sub in replacements for all the other things other than the annoying audio tick. So unfortunately, while our guest Dan has many interesting things to say, the noise you hear doesn't go away during the episode. And while we endeavoured to make it as bearable as possible, that's as good as it got. Apologies for that. I hope you enjoy the episode nonetheless. And yes, we'll look out for the myriad environmental hazards we encountered this time before the next episode. Thanks very much. The Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Hello and welcome to this, The Big Red Couch. This time around on Big Red Couch 163. We have a, a, unfortunately we have apologies to present from Craig. He's not been feeling well, so we are giving him a break this this episode. And we've roped in one of our recent guests to, to fill the second seat. Of course, first I'll introduce myself, Ben, one of the regular hosts. And in the second seat this time around... We have Terry. How's it going, Terry? Good, good. And uh, Craig's absence, absence has nothing to do with the Spice Weasel, bo- weasel Boycott. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're bringing that back around again. We're already <laughs> trying to live that one down. How are you enduring the fame and fortune from guest starring on this uh, most prestigious of rambling fantasy role-playing game show podcast competitions? Well, you... you- you promised me all the fame and fortune. I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting, but I'm sure it's bound to come. Indeed, indeed. We're not, we, we, we don't so much as pay exposure on this podcast as an explosive decompression. So you just hang in there. It, it'll be around any time now. Oh, does it have to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're also very lucky to have with us a, a guest, another one of my Blades in the Dark players because i'm working my way through the uh, through them slowly and they no one has run away screaming just yet also from new zealand we have dan kiara uh, i'm dan dixon yeah i've uh, been playing blades in the dark with ben and terry now for how long has it been maybe it's been a year it feels feels like a long time it was it started in our last kiwi lockdown indeed indeed and so, yeah, I'm, I'm rounding out the, the now Antipodean trio that we have presenting, presenting this. Excellent. And uh, we got a bit of um, Terry's and Manu's bona fides when uh, they, they guest out. What's your background with role-playing games and any other tangentially related silliness or even seriousness if such a thing exists? Cool, yeah, because I think I've taken some of the silliness and tried to make it serious through my life and through my career. So I think as in 
listen, listen to some of the some of the previous podcasts and, and everybody kind of has this competition for when did, when did you start role playing? So when did you start getting into it? And so I remember and trying to beat everybody else out, trying to, getting the pink D&D box, that starter box when I was about 10 and Ooh. getting into role playing then. And I think I was just released at that point. So if you if you do the math, you can probably work out exactly how old I am. So I got into... <laughs> yeah, that's that's not bad. That, is that the line between the Moldavay edition and there was an there was a there was an earlier one? Yeah, that's when you're starting to get down to the the real nitty gritty gatekeeping, which is you know, which we nerds love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which which D and D edition did you get? And exactly when was it released? Yeah. Actually, oh, here's a here's a um, a flashback. Do you remember the Blackwood Gale um, little postcard? Yeah. Audience, audience feedback. The little little things you'd go in and tick, and it had like it listed pretty much every role playing game sort of officially published at the time, which was like seven. <laughs> yeah, and just, yeah. No, I I remember I, I remember exactly that. And you'd look down the list, and you and you'd be like, what the hell is that? It was just like there'd be Gamma World and um, mm. what was the other one that they had, and Boot and you look down them. Boot Hill, yeah. These things that you, that all you knew them from was that one little cheap cardboard card in the back of the box. <laughs> and indeed, yeah. and you could oh. send you presumably send off for a catalogue or some of some place in um, Mount Wellington, which was another world for me at that time, living in in Taranaki. But yeah, it was like. Or were they just, or they were just like to to send back to um, Lake Geneva in Wisconsin. That was always the the thing. That was the like other a, one. Yeah, a, a weird place a long way, long way away. So yeah, I got into role playing back then, and I suppose role playing is almost was yeah my first gaming love, uh, and has sort of stayed with me throughout. Uh, even though I've got into all sorts of other games along the way. Sort of fast forward a bit, I. Uh, got into more role-playing when I went to university. And even I would say probably put down one of my years of drop of failing papers and dropping out to probably playing far too many role-playing games, uh, including <laughs> being sort of dragged into what I think you guys have, have also experienced, being dragged into the whole Dragon Quest Seagate Adventurers Guild universe. Um, and I think kind of coming in maybe in what you could think of in like a comics terms the silver age or maybe it was the end of the silver age of of dragon quest yeah there need there may need to be some sort of deep overview of the history of dq because i i'm not sure where exactly i think i started about the time that it really exploded and and you know the size and the number of people involved but of course, when it inevitably started to fragment and get weird, so my perspective is mm. is bound to be a little different from yourself, yours as well. So yeah, it'd be interesting if somebody does a an oral history of. It will be fascinating. That's something I have considered doing. I think do an ethnography of of um, Dragon Quest to understand kind of how how people play it and what it means to them. Mm. But yeah, so and then I then I left the left New Zealand, and that's probably what stopped me from playing role playing games for a long time. I played them on and off in London for a while, and then my big change in my life at that point was back in the mid two thousands, uh, being offered a job at a university. So I had been working and doing web stuff, and got offered a job to set up and run a degree in web design and development, and so jumped at that, and then early mm -hmm. on. In that story, I can't remember exactly when I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly the year, but 
they started up a, a games technology degree and they started up a paper in that which was uh, called games and play and I jumped at the opportunity to try and teach that and I think they offered it to me and got me to teach that because I was probably the least unqualified person to teach that um, <laughs> and and through that got into uh, game studies and and teaching game design which is obviously something I've sort of dabbled with across the years but something I got to, to do in an academic situation and a higher education situation and Mm. Again, it's a sort of it feels a bit blurry, but as part of my reason for taking on an academic role was to do a PhD and do a bunch of research. So again, I took that whole kind of gaming piece and did a PhD in gaming. Awesome. Yeah, which is which is pretty cool. Uh, well, I mean, it's pretty cool when you start out with, but I think whenever you're doing a PhD, it's a lot of hard work, and whatever you end up studying, you end up hating by the end of it. Um, <laughs> but I. <laughs> So I did a PhD, and my PhD is what is it, it's called playing with reality, a technocultural ethnography of pervasive games. Uh, so I studied, or I researched, sort of firsthand, this type of game that people were calling pervasive games, or big games, or street games, which is where, just after the dawning of mobile phone te- technology, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, right. cellular data, people were thinking about how do you make games with this stuff, and not just how do you put existing games onto those tiny screens but what do you do if you can actually run around whilst you're playing these games so yeah i as part of this got to go to a number of gaming festivals and observe people playing these games and talk with the designers and then wrote a phd on that awesome yes so and this was in a a more innocent age before microtransactions and people getting facial tics when you say ludo narrative dissonance Well, I think it kind of crossed that. I think I, I started my PhD about the time the iPhone, or soon after the iPhone was launched, and finished it because it took 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 a while, just before or before uh, Pokemon Go was 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 yep. put out. So so it spanned a fair amount of time, but because I was looking at stuff around, I suppose about the year twenty ten. Hmm. Before the dark times, which is <laughs> all the times now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's and awesome to have that sort of. Um, I won't say credibility because we'll undermine anything, but um, mm-hmm. lovely to have some a diff, uh, yet another perspective, which is exactly why you know we've been hoping to get more people in and try some stuff out. Okay. So thank you and welcome aboard. Um, and thank you for having me. You're very well. And indeed, we are all going. We are boldly going, apparently. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Indeed. Well, at least where no, uh, no bread products have gone before. As the, the prompt, as suggested by John Rea, is Starfleet Bagels. So, by, by dint of the ancient order, which we just came up with, Terry, have you come up with a pitch for a game called, or inferring... Starfleet bagels. Well, indeed, in, in the uh, in the two hours warning I was given, I, I came up with not one but two ideas. That's an idea an hour, folks. Expect more from your GMs. Clearly, this is one. And <laughs> <laughs> in, in fact, I, I wrote a backup, and I ended up writing a lot more about my backup because I, I like that a lot more. So, yeah. um, Starfleet bagels. This is 
there's a universe where there's a particular bagel that's highly desirable to members of the fleet. Now, the bagels are produced exclusively on a single planet, and no one has managed to successfully replicate this bagel. Now, there are rumours that bagels may have special powers, grant good fortune, increase powerness, but none of that's been proven. There's a courier company that puts these mouth-watering bagels in the hands of the hungry and always delivers. In all the years that this courier company's existed, it's never failed to deliver. The creator of the company is neither toxic snow, nor acid rain, nor supernova, nor gloom of an event horizon will stay the couriers from the swift completion of their delivery. So the couriers have to be able to deliver under any conditions. You know, invasion of the, by the Empire? No problem. Quarantine on a space station? No problem. Giant green hand? No problem. And uh, understandably, the courier company has a, a specialised, highly trained drop team to deal with more difficult challenges. Now, the players take the role as, as members of this delivery company. So, you could be in the security team to stop people getting their hands on the secret recipe. You could be the ace pilot flying through the solar flares. You could be the ground pounders making their way through difficult neighbourhoods. Or you could be the hackers trying to break into uh, crack station security. Huh. Okay. So, an action-packed delivery scenario. Indeed. Bagel couriers. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunities here. You know, you can have the, the action-packed, you know, complicated delivery, could something that needs a lot of uh, social engineering, or, you know, or a mix of the both. So it's not necessarily just all the high-octane, kind of Top Gun type of uh, adventures. And uh, given it's quite a, you know, there's a lot of options there, so you can kind of pitch the game however you want. It can be kind of a, a secret stealth game, or it can be an action one. It could be a lot of, uh, a lot of talking. So uh, I see there's quite a wide variety of, of things you can do kind of in this world. So the, so the bagel is a bit like a MacGuffin, so it's like a McBagel. Effectively. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, you know, the, the bagel is just the, uh, the justification for the, uh, for the plot. It, it can also be part of the, the intrigue, the mystery, despite, I mean, this might be a gig economy thing, and while these people <laughs> are, are highly trained and... And you know, highly trained, and you know, as far as their their their, their jobs, maybe this it, it could be you know an elite force that has you know they they've given oaths and so forth. But that in either case, they may never have tasted the glory of the bagel, because obviously, if you're going to drop into the uh, you know the the scientific uh, installation on the event horizon of a black hole, it it it's probably pretty exclusive bagel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Where did we find that? Where were the bagels created? Uh, they're, they're produced exclusively on a single planet. Mm. Uh, and that hasn't been done before, so... No. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, it's the, ba- the, the bagels must flow. Indeed. Exactly. The bagel planet, like like the ice mm. planet and the, the tree planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's leaning heavily into that, that whole space opera thing of, yeah, sort of one single biome planet. Indeed. Yeah, and I like like your idea of the gig economy. It could be, you know, like like today where, you know, you, you deliver something you could never afford yourself. Mm. And the cynic in me might think of it think of it as like it, it's it's epic, epic bacon time. This is this is these gold plated everything bagels. But mm. the fact that you can have some people drop in power armor into an enemy compound to deliver you a bagel the bagel's great 
don't get me wrong, it's a tasty, tasty bagel. It's the fact that you can have someone deliver it to, to you while you're being shelled. That's the flex. <laughs> exactly. The bagel is just a bagel. And it's, it's, it's the fact that, you know, if you, if you broke it down molecule by molecule and you did all your Star Trek science to it and, and, rep and replicate it, it wouldn't taste the same. Because you didn't have a bunch of huge genetically enhanced super soldiers hand it to you in the middle of a, a war zone. And it, maybe it is the mystique and maybe that is the, with that horrible caraway seed stuck in the, the, the inner ring of what should have been like a plain sesame bagel that's going to go into ruin that mouthful. It's, it's, it's that thing that's like, oh, right, it's, the bagels are great. No, 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 no stress about the bagels, but they are not what they are selling. It is literally the sizzle. Well, yeah, like, like a lot of fast food these days, you know, it's not the, the food itself or the drink, it, it, it's the experience or the brand um, mm. around it. So it, I think that's a really good point. It's exactly that. But maybe there's something deeper in that. I think I really like that idea of the gig economy and, and your poorly paid, badly treated workers delivering these delivering these bagels in in poor situations where yeah you're being shelled or you got to slog through the the swamp to get it to the to that bagel eating tiny little pointy eared wizard old creature <laughs> who needs something to go with his morning coffee exactly exactly while he's while he's doing his training but what's yeah what's what's the deepest story behind the bagels why why does everybody want a bagel as well why is this why are bagels such such kind of sought after products what is it what is it that's made the bagel company the biggest company or the the biggest the biggest threat in this 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 universe well you, you obviously haven't read the marketing it's you know it's the best thing around <laughs> they'll tell you that yep you know, it, it, you know, it, it, and that's a good point. Is there anything in particular about the bagel that makes it appealing, or is it just, you know, like a common fast food? It's just comfort food that everyone loves to have, or is it something mm. to do with its its uniqueness or a difficulty to get? That's well, reality warping powers. <laughs> exactly. There's there's a lot of ways to you you could spin it there. Hmm. There is a fate based system called uh, Bulldogs, which is literally about harrowing. Uh, thankless deliveries in space for a fairly heartless organization that has similar sorts of things so yeah it's a, and that's a it's mm. it's pretty good fun it has a very you're doing the best of you're doing the best job of a job that you would rather not be doing kind of thing mm. well until until you move to management and that's where the money is so well yeah that's where that, that's where the promise of the money is but <laughs> well that's that's where the mystery deepens when you're in management Suddenly, you find out that there are there are more levels in there, and there are stranger things going on. Hmm. Yes, and, yeah. and maybe you wonder why that they keep the recipe so secret and the ingredients. There could, could kind of be a, a soil and green aspect to it as well. Hmm. Indeed. Oh, yes. Or the 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 slurm, uh, secret recipe from Futurama kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, hey. mouth watering. <laughs> cool. Okay, it's punchy, to the point. I like it. Yeah. It, it was more starship troopers than Starfleet, but no, that's good. That's a that's a that's an appropriate response because not everyone is is is, is anti-capitalist as Starfleet. So <laughs> no. Well, you know, Starfleet's there. It's the world. Um, mm. You know, 
it exists in the world and they're your main customers? Well, they they get in all those awkward places and while there there is technically no money, they somehow pay for things. Well, they've got a, they've got a lot of resources. Yeah, you're kind of on the inside or or the outside of, of Starfleet. You've got it all or you've got nothing. Hmm. You've got the bagel on your desk or you don't. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Okay. So, Dan, what what's your what's your take on this particular takeaway? So, my take on Starfleet bagels, it was the first thing that that popped in my mind was a bagel shop in Brick Lane in London and whenever I think about bagels I think of this bagel shop and it's a 24-hour bagel shop in in Brick Lane and so you can mm. go and buy your dozen bagels during the day or at three o'clock in the morning you can have a salt beef bagel when you've just come come out of a club or a pub uh, and you're sort of queuing there with all the, the, the late night taxi drivers uh, in the in the steam as it's coming out of the, the place and so that was kind of where I, my brain first went to is this kind of idea of these Jewish 24-hour bagel bagel shops where you can kind of go in and, and get all your food and then trying to think how do I smash that into a Starfleet universe a space opera universe so my game pitch is I'm actually leaning really heavily into the idea of tabletop RPGs so this particular game has to be played face-to-face it can't be played online and I'll get to why in a minute and the idea behind this is that it's it's not actually I'm taking a bit of inspiration from kind of that whole idea of zero prep no prep games but this isn't a zero prep game, this is a potluck game. And the idea is that everybody has to bring some food, right? So everybody um, has to bring some food and you have a picnic and a game at the same time. So everybody brings their, brings along their stuff uh, and then you start up the game. And so this universe that you're in now is a universe of big, bold action heroes that boldly go where no bold action heroes gone before they fight bold enemies and they romance bold bald or boggly headed but strangely sexy aliens however you're not one of them you're you're one of these people from the lower decks you're not one of these kind of bold action heroes you're one of these other people that kind of is is in the concourse on the on the space station or working down the lower decks and the players together inherit an eatery Probably a bagel shop, maybe, first off. It's a bagel uh, from, from their uncle or their grandmother or something like that. And part of that kind of beginning phase of the game is trying to figure out how are you all related to or what's that relationship with the person that's given you this, uh, this bagel shop. And again, I was sort of thinking uh, there could be a couple of different options in there. Maybe it's a bagel shop, maybe it's a coffee shop or a deli or something like that. And so part of that that first stage in the game would be kind of working out, working through the what is the thing that you've that you've just inherited? What are all your relations to each other? Where is it? Are you on a spacecraft? Like are you kind of in a 10 forward kind of situation, but actually you're the bagel shop at the front of the, the enterprise? Or are you on a space station? Um, and then working through what kind of universe are you in? Are you because I think that whole Starfleet thing is a it sits in this space opera universe which could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Are you in this kind of an, is it an empire, a federation, or a republic? What kind of tech level or sort of era are you in? Are you kind of in these sort of janky leaking spaceships and space stations, or are you in this kind of glossy white walled ships with warp drives and transporters? Is it a fascist nanny state? 
or is it the sort of unlimited resource space commies? Are you militaristic or are you interested in science for science's sake? But to all of that backdrop, you guys are thrust into the situation of running a food shop, not being a hero, and having to deal with that. It's the game, so that's that first phase, that's that kind of role-playing phase where you're in that. And then what happens is that wherever you're at, something happens. So maybe the, the bridge crew on the spaceship get food poisoning and you are now in the situation where you have to step up or situation like that. And so now you go from, from being these lower decks, bagel making, coffee making crew to having to participate in a space battle and lead your ship through a space battle or a planetary landing or some sort of diplomacy situation. And this is the bit where it trans the game sort of transforms a bit. We go from this kind of role-playing mode to more of what I'm calling like an improvised miniatures situation. So this is the point where you break all the food out. And based on all the kind of food that, based on the food that's bought, you decide what type of situation it is. Say you bought you know, pizza slices and bagels. It's now going to be a space battle where you use the pizza slices as spaceships and the bagels as space stations to simulate your space battle. Or if you bought you know, hummus and tzatziki and, and pizza bread, it's now a planetary landing with goopy pools of stuff that you have to work through and you can create your own miniatures for your characters by kind of going hey this piece of breadstick that I've broken off is now my miniature or this olive is now my miniature and you're now in this kind of slightly more tactical mission based situation for that and each of those each of those the whole game I figure has these kind of like tropey mission playbooks which you decide you redo some tables of what you bought along and that determines whether it's a space battle or a, or an away team kind of situation and then you can work through what the actual situation would be like some of my inspiration for this has come from Beyond the Wall, which is a old school rules game with a lot of kind of playbooks to figure out what the story is and how everybody fits together, as well as sort of powered by the apocalypse type ideas. So yeah, and so the players have sort of a playbook sort of situation with what they can do. Um, a set of kind of basic moves and then a set of specialist moves based on who they are. Uh, and those specialist moves might be something like you have to like a one move for one player might be you have to break a few eggs to make an omelette could be a, a specialist play and then you can use it either in the situation where you're working in your restaurant or your bagel shop or you can use it in the bridge situation when you're when you're a space battle cool okay so it, it sounds like it's all collaborative world building and kind of running of the game so there's no mm. actual gm is that Am I understanding that right? Um, no, I sort of thought there was probably a GM that would be facilitating that rather than being a purely collaborative world-building thing. So okay. the GM is the one sort of running the situations, running the play, running the, the basic plays, and being the rest of the universe. But the players get to decide as they build out the, the campaign what that campaign is like. Brilliant. Yes, interesting. I mean, some of the best genre tv shows have been when they've stepped back from the main characters and acknowledge some of the strangeness and the and the conceits of the show a view from the gallery and uh, babylon 5 is one of one of my favorite episodes where they have a couple of just got maintenance guys yeah exactly and i think and that's the sort of vibe and i think i've watched a couple of episodes of um star trek lower decks but that same sort of thing of if you're not the heroes or maybe not you're not the heroes yet uh, but you also have a bunch of other skills that are useful 
generally in other situations which are not space battles or away team uh, mm. or or romancing romancing strange aliens but you could try and use them in both situations yeah i, I particularly like that the, the fact that you have these sets of worthwhile day-to-day skills that you may try and apply slash misapply to space adventure <laughs> yeah yeah because i'm just I was sort of thinking about what stats would characters have and again as starting with that whole jewish bagel shop thing i was kind of reminded of um some of my favorite stats from paranoia like the chutzpah and the moxie from paranoia mm. which uh, i mean the chutzpah is a, a a great yiddish word but that idea that you've you've got these things which are stats which describe more of a state of mind than they do physically describing how dexterous or strong you are and it absolutely shapes the kind of things that happen in a game and i mean you often hear like oh the system doesn't really matter but in, in some ways the, the system absolutely it's like it, it constrains what you can do and how you think about things that you do and yeah that's a yeah that's a really that's a really interesting reminder that one of the a really old game now how they shape those mm. sorts of things so that's a good point kind of the the, the framework of the game decides kind of the, the shape of the game and but in, in, in dan's idea because you're doing kind of collaborative world building you're kind of deciding the framework up front so it could be you know almost anything yeah and and i agree with the fact that the rules the rules describe what you can do the fact that games like D or classic role-playing games mostly describe combat situations decides the fact that the game kind of has to be about that because that's what the game is really heavily leaning into whereas other games mm. which which would have things that describe other situations would would do that so i think in here the, the situations would describe is or have plays or stats that really describe how you would run your bagel shop or run your deli and and then it's it's up to the players when they're thrust into these situations of being down on a foreign planet to think okay how do i use this concept rather than as a straight skill to do something mm. here it's like if it's yeah and and in some ways Hutzpah and moxie could just be kind of charisma and maybe intelligence but the fact that the names they're given those names really shapes the mm. way that you you know not, not being exposed to a lot of yiddish as a, as a teenager but it's still <laughs> um their description of it and their um and the way that they they're made it the impression of how you'd use it what situations you'd use it seem mm. completely different to good old-fashioned like int whiz and a char so yeah, yeah. i think that's, that's really yeah, that's really really interesting um also the assembling your spread of food to to play out some of the the miniatures portion of the game reminds me like of the there's like a there's like a lego war games kind of model and i think mm. this dates back to like using it where you know that the people come up with rules for assembling vehicles or something robots out of lego and and giving them various statistics based on the bits you use and so forth so <laughs> there's definitely precedent for that it, it does remind me of the early days of gaming when not everyone had figures or you know you didn't have the right the gm didn't have the right figures so you, you end up putting sweets or you know uh, uh, salt shakers on the table to represent yes, yes. things yeah your character chasing a particular flavor of starburst around because it is your favorite or even i mean i think the story of lots of lots of uh canon sort of classic D monsters is the fact that they were 
little plastic dinosaurs or figures they had and they started playing with them and then they turned them into these monsters that mm. made it into 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 canon yep yeah so i i quite like the idea of and then whatever you whatever you bring determines the type of thing that you can then play on the table and you maybe you're smushing around a little bit in the in this in the satsiki or the the hummus or whatever as you're kind of like mushing your way through stuff but but that's where your olive has ended up <laughs> yeah just as long as no one brings anything too liquid <laughs> could be an exciting sea adventure indeed no I, I, just back to your point about kind of stats i mean that, that maybe because it's a collaborative building um you could kind of decide what kind of stats you want to have and that would kind of drive the type of world and game you have you could be more traditional you know strength and or you could be you know Oxborough, you know what you were describing or something in the middle um or you, you know you could steal ideas from any game that you've played in the past yeah yeah i mean i think i think where i'd be going for is having something that has a reasonably a weird i suppose this is kind of a, a weird dichotomy but a robust yet open system so they're steering away from the strengthened decks kind of kind of model because i was sort of thinking of you could have like a stat of that would power you moves like chutzpah but then also like something like smooth and so mm. in the in the world of your deli if you're using chutzpah you'd be like shouting down your rival who's trying to trying to take over your street or whatever or, or using that or smooth might be you would be trying to convince them with smoothly whereas if you then took that and used it on a bridge right and you were trying to pilot your ship using chutzpah that that's kind of being audacious and you'd probably smash your ship into a few things um if you're using chutzpah to pilot but get through something but if you're using smooth you dock smoothly hmm. so it sounds like language is very important in this game and, and how you interpret you know your abilities and, and how to apply them hmm. yeah i think so I, I agree lateral thinking for the win yeah the idea of actually building the system I've not seen that yet. It vaguely crossed my mind a couple of times. We're actually assembling like some of the, the basic currency of the game during the, the, the start of the game. That sounds kind of terrifying, but interesting. Or, it, certainly, certainly. I mean, the there are Fate Accelerated has um, rather than stats per se, it has approaches. And you know, if you do, you, you're a character who does things forcefully rather than rather than flashily or something like that and you could you could effectively mm. you you could use you could use fake sort of categories or pick from a pick from from groups to say all right this is the kind of thing that addresses this kind of problem what's what are what's what's the track that we are using so that mm. could be a way of of, of distributing that a bit because or, or you could just get out there and pick you know four four metrics of the fl- of the flavor of this game pretty much and you know you end up with effectively like salty sweet bitter umami but whatever the other one is yeah so it's salt heat yeah whatever they are salt heat sour whatever they are yeah the four flavors mm-hmm. so effectively yeah you have a yes you have a a very thinking way around that could be um hmm yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> and food is built into the game, which has got to be a win. <laughs> well, I thought I thought actually kind of having something that really made face-to-face tabletop role-playing a thing, as opposed to just being like, oh yeah, we can play it online. This this is a game mm-hmm. that can mm-hmm. only be played face-to-face on a table where you get food out. <laughs> well, it it adds a, a level of 
value and community and a, a, you know, an additional positive association for what is you know actually you know going outside of your your out of your way to turn up to do a thing that's exactly it's not a bad thing to encourage exactly awesome so so what's your uh, your idea ben shockingly mine is as a little is a little similar to terry's it's not nearly <laughs> as innovative as dan's but yeah no we'll 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 have they'll have to hash it out in the um the copyright courts but it was this is like a combination of like two vague vague thoughts of mine the idea that like you say you, your your ultimate bagel was unreplicatable for whatever reason either it's got some sinister component or it's actually just the the hype it's just the it's just the fact that you can have it delivered in its in its perfect box by a fleet of hulking marines what i would i would was thinking about was that if you know actual bagels are impossible to replicate and no one knows why i'm assuming that there are safety interlocks inside replicators that means you can't just you know print you know regalia from the eugenics wars with all the uh, hateful symbols on them just for funsies um or you presumably get (laughs) you'll get logged if it does um or random random dangerous things or you know stuff that's just basically unsafe but for some reason a decent bagel impossible to get and it's it's obviously a that's obviously a grievance of folks there and finally somebody has got the paperwork through this vastly bureaucratic well-meaning but hidebound but kind of clumsy giant organization that they're going to investigate why bagels are unreplicatable and it starts like a, a chain of events where you're investigating of where exactly was was this was it laid down maybe as as a religious structure because earth has seen some shit in the star trek timelines there was the whole like there was the eugenics wars there were the there was a world war three basically been fighting half of the alien races that they've um been acquainted with ever since and it, it, it there's been some there's been some there's been some tension so there there is a little bit of lost knowledge there's a bit of stuff that hasn't come back it hasn't survived this this thing i'd, I'd assume that the the a lot of culture especially something that's as well recorded and and has an emphasis on on remembering history as judaism has, has made it through but it's this weird gap for some reason no one can no one for some reason is explicitly blocked from replicating bagels and the tattered sort of like scraps of 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 historical information point to something called the everything bagel and it is suspected this is somehow some sort of cosmically powerful bread good that that had to be kept out it's sort of erased from history to kept on the hands and so there is a typically overwrought time hopping kind of star trek adventures we have to go back and determine what happened and what if if can be what can be undone to to you know recover this lost hey bagels still exist you can go to a like a place of brick lane and get a bagel but while you're on a starship you are out you know you've three days out of out of port you're out of luck (laughs) there's no more fresh bagels and it's a problem and people have finally someone's finally put the uh has got into a position of authority enough to know okay we are sending our 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 a strike team with a bunch of um 
you know, known faulty transporters so we can accidentally do time travel to find out why. Yeah, and it's gonna and it's uh so it's a, a mystery of sorts. So so with with the roles of the players, would they be mainly going back in time, or would it be more based in the in the world, kind of the Starfleet world? Um, I think I think as a a nod to Star Trek's, you know, you know, time travel is impossible. We uh, we proved it last week by traveling back in time. To <laughs> sort of uh thing i think it would be it would should be the the main the main focus but uh it should happen at some point yeah they can go anywhere as long as it's within the budget of a 1980s show yeah. yes it's a, it's a set that they already have just down the road <laughs> so what so yeah i mean I was, I was thinking yours your 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 idea is like to beg or go as opposed to boldly go <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah as my question is, is yeah kind of what what are the players doing and who are they and what are they actually sort of doing what's their what's that yeah, I see for the players it's possible that you could play it as some sort of they're actually a highly trained highly skilled elite force within Starfleet you know one of their one of their section 31 kind of Hush hush departments, or not quite, but you know they're they're they're, they're a bunch of uh, of heavy hitters, but they've been given this ridiculous assignment, and mostly going okay, sure, let's find this thing out. We're doing this this, and there might be like a, a historical historiographical kind of bent to it as well. So there's a range of different sort of things, and they're supposed to be investigating these things, but they end up finding a more you know sinister overarching plot about. Mm. Them about the everything bagel and what it could mean for um starfleet and the future of the the galaxy as they know it i was gonna say here's an interesting idea what if the players are actually on the other side they're protecting the bagel against the red starfleet's trying to find this stuff out but they have to continuously head them off at the pass oh if say starfleet is is well-meaning but they they know they don't know what they would wrought would, or would be wrought mm. with the if the secret of the bagel comes out maybe there's exactly. some sort of um sort of this weird knight's templar or something some sort of yeah. secret order protecting the secret of the bagel i guess knight templar would be a very bad example but protecting the ultimate carbohydrate yeah yeah <laughs> yes. Well, no, there's, I think, like Ben was saying, that there is some deeper secret to the bagel. There's some reason why it's protected, but you're there protecting it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I like that. You could, you could play it from either side, you know, seeking, seeking the ultimate bagel or protecting the bagel because of, of what would happen. The mm. fools don't know what they, they would have uncovered, what, what they would uncover. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. I like that. How you structure missions like that, that's, that's one of the ones that often you put parties in charge of sort of proactive, seeking things out. If they're more reactive, what's a good way of making sure that, you know, you've, I mean, that way you can, you can sort of certainly feed them sort of a variety of things to do. And it, yeah, well, there would have to be, you'd, you'd want a lot of red herrings, um, you know, r- rather than being kind of hardcore kind of military kind of mission it could be driven by academics you know you're working with academics to to explore ruins to to find the clues hmm going into the rubble of old new 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 york to find out mm. yeah 
some sort of hints as to what, of what might have transpired. Yeah. Yeah. There are ancient records of a bagel shop being there. You want to uncover. <laughs> yes, technically, probably hundreds, but yes. <laughs> oh, the ancient records only talk of one. That that one famous <laughs> bagel shop. But it still feels like you need that. Yeah, you need a challenge for the player, like an interesting conflict for the players to to encounter mm. on, a, on a regular basis. What's that? Because they, yeah, it's not just fighting things. Yeah, there could be other groups outside. You know the Ooh. the Starfleet that are pursuing the mm. ultimate bagel maybe, as well. M- maybe in, in the in the in the pursuit of the the everything. It's not that Starfleet thinks this is a big problem. However, some rival governments have decided that the secret to galactic power, and presumably the Federation's control of such a large part of known space, is this everything bagel. So they are mm. sending their dis- their disintegrator-wielding strife teams after the secret. And Federation is, is it does not it doesn't want like give it away that this is actually just sort of a, a bit of a a bit of a lost piece of uh, cultural artifact that they don't quite that isn't isn't quite as important as it used to be. It's like you know closely held you know cultural sort of sort of thing of, of, of affection but not necessarily earth shattering secrets but they don't want to play that hand but also they don't want the you know the, the Romulans roaming up and down the, uh, the streets disintegrating things if they can help it so the idea that you're defending the secret that bagels are tasty bread <laughs> but stopping these incursions maybe that's the um, maybe that's the, the pivot that you'd need and it could be that even if the secret got out of it being tasty bread, your uh, opponents wouldn't believe you. There's got to be more to it. You know, mm. it's, it's part of some... Uh... And so this, we, we find this This is the secret to Starfleet's existence. The only reason that there is a Starfleet and a Federation is because of the bagel. Maybe, maybe. Already. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, straight, strangely enough, my first idea with um, people in a kitchen in the Starfleet is quite similar to... <laughs> To Dan's idea. No, it's, it's good. It's good. Well, there's, there's gonna, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of crossover. This one's people. There's, there's a fairly cohesive, coherent idea of what Starfleet is like. So yeah, there's a lot of chance that we're going to hit some, some, some common ideas. I think we've gotten a few, gotten a few around the place. As I think the interesting thing about Starfleet is how it can be interpreted in lots of different ways. So. What's the Starfleet that you want in your universe? Because um, it is—it's—it's it's a sort of space opera background, and the Federation can be a lot of different things, right? And and it can be a bunch of different Starfleet universes where, like, was it in Discovery? They've got the Terran Empire rather than the Federation. And it's just a—I a, suppose things things are just tweaked, or maybe you turn a few things up to eleven, and all of a sudden it becomes something quite different. Yeah, you've got the dark yeah. universe. Hmm. Yes, the the mirror universe where everyone has goatees and is evil. Ah, yeah. <laughs> not just not just regular kind of. Wears black leather. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, and and their bagels, their ba- bagels are always a little bit overcooked. The dark bagel. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The ses- it's the sesame seed bagel. Cool. Alrighty, so. Terry, we have a write-in from our usual host, Craig, 
would you like to to drop that on us? So this prompt made Craig think of a bagel shop on or near a military base, presumably a Starfleet base. Now, when he was researching, he he went down a bit of a rabbit warren. Does the Federation use money? Is food replicated? What's the deal with having fast food outlets on a military base? And couldn't find any good answers, but he, he, he went on ahead anyway. So, with his, his idea, Starfleet Bagels is a chain of uh, bagel fuel delis operating with in or outside Starfleet facilities. You can probably find one on the bigger civilian ships as well. They specialise in being a place to enjoy food, and it's not just a place with uh, replicators. The food's made in front of you, or at least there's a visible kitchen with all the sights and sounds and smells of food preparation. And the people presumably just ignore the fact that while a bagel's handmade, the flour's replicated. But in reality, Starfleet Bagels is an intelligence asset for the Federation. It's the sort of place where people can relax a bit, let their guard down while waiting for bagel and coffee. It's where you have an impromptu meeting and have a few casual chats. Uh, the whole place is wired with recording and facial recognition systems because knowing that two people have a chat over a coffee is sometimes useful. Now the staff at Starfleet Bagels uh, 4077 have known for a while that serving delicious bagels with your choice of filling isn't the only thing the franchise does. The bizarre in insistence of a 24-hour operation when there's no demand, the frequent discount coupon drives whenever important folk are in town, or the manager's not-so-subtle ability to meet with shelter figures at odd times. These have all led to the staff to figure out they're definitely part of Starfleet intelligence. Now this is wh where things get weird. There are chip deployments and troop movements going on. The manager's in the infirmary with some case of bizarre, bizarrely unpronounceable disease. And the shelter figures have begun hanging, hanging out at the bagel shop. And while Godard, the barista, is pretty sure that it's everyone's chance to step up and do their part, nobody's actually sure what that part is. Hmm. So I think, you know, you're, you're, you're hapless staff of a bagel shop um, in the middle of something quite complex going on. Was that hapless staff or were you intelligence agents? Well, I, I think from, from the pitch, you're hapless staff and you know something's going on, you just don't know quite what. So it's got a, it's got a few similarities to, to the thing that I was pitching. I thought the, mm. one of the other things that that I was interested in and I thought I was inspired by when I when I thought about mine was Samurai Pizza Cats because I was sort of thinking is is it are you the are you running a pizza shop or a bagel shop and then da da when something something big goes down you transform into samurai wielding pizza cats that go out and save the day hmm so have you is there more going on to you than there seems yeah I mean that, that could be an option or it could just be the the you know you're thrust into a situation and you know this is where you you make or break, and you know become become the hero. Exactly. Mm. I much prefer the being thrust into the situation vibe for from a, from a role playing or player's perspective because you have to struggle so much more to to get this stuff done. You're you're be, yes. you're out of your depth, and I think there's 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 comedy and fun to be played played through in that. Mm. And yeah, an inventive use of their apparently mundane abilities to accomplish remarkable things you know? no so I, th I think the role of the of the players you know obviously you're it could be a couple of uh, things from from this pitch you know you could either be kind of low-level intelligence agents trying to you know uh, work out what's going on or, or work with the shop or you know it could be the the um 
you know, the staff themselves pulled into some heist or caper by some uh, security, uh, you know, intelligence member of Federation. I mean, the other way it could be fun of, of you are kind of Starfleet intelligence agents, but they've, they have this they have this string of, of bagel shops, but you've been you've been assigned there because of something that you've done wrong. So you're a super capable intelligence agent, but now you're just working in a bagel shop. Right. It's sort of like a, a place where they, they uh, not quite a punishment detail, but it's like if you can keep your cool, do this menial thing, but actually come back and tell us, oh, yeah, these people have been meeting. I think there's going on something. You, you actually get to practice your spycraft in a really, in a, like a really constrained space. And that, that and especially if they tell them, it's like, oh, you're being, you're being put undercover in this particular place. Everyone else is completely normal. Don't worry about it. <laughs> They're actually all kind of going, yeah, what's his name keeps ta- talking into the cuff of his, um, his, his shirt. What? Do you think something's up? <laughs> I, I was, I was actually thinking, I was thinking that they had actually done something wrong. And so it's the, mm. the beginning of the beginning of the, the character creation, but is is almost like what have you done wrong to end up here? That would that would certainly be interesting, in as much as that, yeah, it's a redemption story and proving their their worth, even mm. though they might be sli- slightly sort of mis misfitted for Star Trek's or so the, the Federation's kind of approach to things. But also, it gives you that opportunity of like, oh, look, these mis- the, the, these these fuck-ups, they're in a particular place. But that is the last place that the enemy is going to expect a, a threat from. So when, when the balloon goes up, it's like, oh, it's, it's down to us. Mm. And that, that kind yeah, of threat. Yeah. The, Rom- the Romulans evade, the Borg invade, and they, yeah, they neutralize all of the rest of Starfleet. But this one chain of bagel shops is left standing. Yeah, that could be well, pretty they, cool. They they serve anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Famously yeah. neutral zone. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. So I th- I think there's an, a a lot of options for this pitch. You know, for for what the players are. You know, they can either be helpless, thrust into um, out of their depth, or they can be kind of the the intelligence agent, which has done the wrong thing and and being sent to the, you know. Siberia, and you know it's it's its chance to to shine again. Yeah, no, I I like both of those. I think particularly the here the the the, the redemption arc could be pretty could be pretty interesting because I mean, like I say, the icebreaker is so. How did you screw up? What do you, what are you in for? Yeah, yeah, but it, it could turn out the person you're asking is actually just the uh, you know that the new. Um, uh, cleaner that's not actually an intelligence agent <laughs> ah, this is this is more of the players introducing the characters but yes maybe somebody is just a hapless bystander but yeah, i suppose it'd be interesting to kind of think about what kind of system would you have where you could where you could play both of those together the hapless cleaner with the 20 year seasoned intelligence agent um I mean, it reminds me a little bit of back in the day there was a james bond role-playing game and hmm. kind of some of your stats and some of your the things that you had, it was you had to pay more to to be kind of in the middle, whereas if you were kind of at either end of the spectrum of various kind of stats and things, you got you kind of got those for free. So you could be incredibly good looking, or really uh, no, yeah, you could be incredibly good looking and really ugly. But to be to kind of melt into a crowd, 
that was hard. That was harder to get from a state perspective. Um, you had to pay more for that. Well, yes, the perfect spy is inconspicuous. So, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense, certainly for that one. Um, but that's yeah, that's that particular that particular attribute makes sense. Well, it could also be that you're you know you're a junior intelligence agent. You know, there are a lot of these bagel shops around, and this is where you kind of do your time to you know get the hours in and and you know use your use your tradecraft. You know, all, all, the, all the highly trained intelligence agents are off doing uh, important things. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Thank you, Craig. Um, I guess you get to listen to this episode along with everyone else this time, so enjoy that experience. If it changes your mind about anything, um, let, let me know. <laughs> well, I don't think it'll change his mind about spice weasels, just saying. <laughs> that's why we need a spice, spice weasel bagel. Yes, yes indeed. That sounds unwholesome. So, after Craig's, we have one more pitch from John. Uh, and John was the uh, origin of the, the prompt. We're expecting something special. Cue the music. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the commissary ship Howland David Sanders. It's five year mission. To deliver strange new foods, seek out new cuisines and new recipes, to boldly brew a cuppa where no no one has brewed one before. You are the crew of the Confederated Consensual Cooperative Planet ship, the CCCPS Harland David Sanders, nicknamed the Colonel. Your mission, besides finding new things to eat and serve various crews of Starfleet, is to keep the cruisers gallivanting around the galaxy, fully supplied with edible foodstuffs and culinary experiences. The PCs can play the boring job of the bridge crew, or the more exciting job of the scout culinary away team. Each scat team is led by a senior chef, one or more sous chefs, and several line cooks. When the colonel puts into a spaceport, the scat goes and seeks out new dishes, local cuisine, and other goodies to hand over to the chef. There is only one chef on a commissary ship, a senior warrant officer with many years of uh, of service. They hardly go on away missions. Sometimes the colonel will visit a newly discovered world and put down not only a scat, but a biological compatibility assessment and flavour evaluation group. Biocafeg makes sure the plants and animals found by the scat are actually edible. With some 50 alien species in the CCCP, making sure at least 30% of them can stomach, or in the case of the orku, absorb the food, is a primary concern. There's also ethnic concerns. The Tingalong like their meats to still be alive, while the Glendorians prefer food that is with its own built-in antifreeze. And the Sporkins are strict vegetarians, but hate anything that looks like broccoli. There are, of course, the CCCP cruisers, like the USS Endeavour. These ships just go wherever they want to and get involved in all sorts of shenanigans. And the colonels expect to do a hot supply run as they fend off an exfoliant web ship in the middle of combat. So the advent... So, the adventures tend to run either as, let's get to trouble at the spaceport, let's try and not get eaten alive by the local flora and fauna, to, maybe we should wait until the shooting is over before we try and soon the afternoon tea. Not really a long campaign game, more of a palate cleanser between meteor RPG sessions. And yes, it's set in my Gamma Watch game setting. So, in that case, I recommend using Fate Accelerated and... John has helpfully supplied us with a link to Gamma Watch. And there's also a 
a reading list for Tingalong, apparently it's supposed to be Klingons, Glendorians, Andorians, Exfolians, Tholians, and Sporkians, as Craig says. Come on, really? Really? What do you think? So it sounds like it's very open for, for kind of adventures, given that you'd almost be going anywhere, you know, to, to, to find food of, of, that's um, edible by various races. It's it very much addresses the army marches on its stomach kind of thing, which, you know, is a legitimate logistical kind of concern, but also they've, they've turned, uh, John's turned up to a, a ridiculous degree that they've got people um, pretty much doing the, like, first contact, second breakfast kind of thing. It, it is actually it's <laughs> as if, like, the Federation was run by hobbits, which, yeah, you know, it's not a bad thing. Well, I, I was thinking a very similar thing, is that in, in a science fictional universe where you've got replicators and you've got unlimited amounts of energy, it would seem, you can create any experience you want, right? So what are the things that would be rare or would be sought after that would be coming up with new experiences? So sending mm. off ships to basically explore the universe just to find new shit, right? Kind of what's out there that we just haven't thought of and we haven't been able to thought, think of because the universe throws things together in interesting ways. So mm, having yeah. people kind of who are aesthetes going out there, right? Maybe maybe you've got the, the cooking one, but what what else might you have out there that's kind of going out to I don't know, sample other other cultures, movies and theater and sock puppets, sock puppet operas um, that, that you can <laughs> kind of bring back and, and transmit to the rest of the rest of the world. So yeah, the, that kind yes. of novelty and, and neologism is the stuff that's that would make make sense for for the world. Yeah, it is. It's not. It's not just a, a post scarcity um, society. It's almost post novelty. They they they're having to uh. go beyond just experiencing the things inside their own because it's it's everything is so available. And also, you can just like go into a hollow deck and punch up whatever. So you know that's really that's that's so yeah no that's really interesting. What was what was the other point? And the other thing I was thinking of is is that often it often doesn't get played up in tabletop role playing games, but computer role playing games are heavily into that whole whole kind of crafting mechanic or having crafting systems in there, where you get to collect mm. things and then make stuff. So having and it's interesting to possibly have something like that in a tabletop role playing game for those people that that dig that thing, right? Because different people like different types of games and different kind of bits of different games so you could have a game which is heavily focused around going around the universe collecting stuff and then figuring out how to craft it together and rather than having a locked down bristle system like say a, a MMO you could have something that the GM can can go okay you've got all these things what are you going to make out of it yeah yeah and I think the underlying driver is kind of similar to, to Craig's pitch in that you know, you've got replicators, but you're missing out on the experience of, of you know, having the food made and prepared and, and served. Hmm. And, and maybe replicators are, you know, I mean, they've gotten better over the years, but they are essentially constructed to recycle unneeded waste matter and prepare it so you could, you could you could re-ingest the, 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 the energy, the, the carbohydrates and sugars and so forth that you needed so you didn't die in the cold blackness of space. 
So maybe the fact that you know, the, the principle they're working from just means everything is not quite as satisfying as it might be otherwise, because it's got a very utilitarian fundamental function. Or if they've just got the same, they've got the same thing. So you order a burger and then every time you order the burger, it's exactly the same and tastes exactly the same. True. The template is, and it's, and it's just eerily identical to your previous yeah. 30 burgers. It's like, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. You know, people, it's, it's not something that we, that people know that they're sensitive to until they're exposed to 30 carbon copies of the same burger in a row. And at that point, you're, you're, you're screaming, running around the ship crazy, like, I need a new burger. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, look, they, they're going to uh, burn the bun a little bit on the left-hand side again. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it could be a combination of both things. It's just the tedium of, of replicated food or the fact that replicated food is, you know, low quality. You know, you, your grey goo, which is functional, but, you know, not particularly exciting. It definitely started off as nutrition paste, um, and as Tim um, pointed out on the Facebook page, is it? Yes, it, I surprised that discussion of the horrors of replicators in Star Trek Discovery. Ben didn't mention Admiral Vance explaining it that the fancy dinner he's serving at a crucial diplomatic meeting was literally at one point all shit. <laughs> yep. But then again, you know, and I'm saying it's like people have been zooming through space. The alternative being starvation and dehydration, or they found a uh, they found a way of making that palatable, and uh, people will just you'd have to be super edge lordy to, um, to you know to bring that up because it's like it's like the thing is yes, the you know the water coming out of your tap was probably inside another human being at some time in the last five years, a thousand years, who knows? So yeah, it's just like why would you bring that up but also yes he was talking to somebody who was a super super lord, and he was probably just just uh playing uh, playing to the uh the crowd <laughs> indeed yeah so there's, there's a lot of interesting ways to spin that you know depending on kind of the, the underlying drivers you know whether the, the 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 blandness or the scarcity of the food or maybe both so you know i, I guess the uh players you know can go on all sorts of unusual games but it kind of feels like it would be a lot of kind of kind of episodic. Go down, you know, find something weird, poke it, and then work out how to use it. There'd be only so many food puns that you can get through the game. <laughs> yeah, there was. We were running very strong risk of of, of maxing out there. But I, I did like Dan. I'd like your suggestion that you know you're also looking for components or things to to acquire to improve your. Um, your repertoire and discover, make new discoveries because you know the fact the fact that you know these this culture is now possibly unhealthily obsessed with finding the next new thing you know might might be a, a very interesting feature it's certainly a good driver for um, the uh, the players to get out there and create something new and you'd have to always be going into weird situations because anything too normal would just give you normal food results Awesome. Yeah, on your on your point there, Ben. Rather than it being for a kind of the new best thing, it could there could be an underlying kind of um, crisis in in the universe that people need something different. You know, people are going mad just eating the same bland food. You know, for years on end. That sounds pretty cool. Thank you, John. Um, and John also pitched the idea 
from slight mangling of the uh, reference to the game Starfleet, Starfleet Battles, which I can see people have referring to it as in a, in a comic way. So yes, that was a a storied um, game of uh, of the eighties. It's a facet era bit of a uh, bit of history. Well. I was going to say my other pitch was was um, competitive kitchens in um, in kind of Starfleet, you know, and a lot like Dan's, you know, you're you're not the the heroes or the stars of the world, and you sit back in the kitchen. But um, you know, there's fierce competition between kitchens on different ships, including you know um, disrupting other kitchens, you know, stealing staff, infiltrating other kitchens. Turn it into a cooking reality TV show. With or a is dark it just edge. The, the rivalry? Yeah, well, that's something yeah. I, I think I did mention. Mine, I did mention when I was sort of talking about mine was the fact that you'd probably. I was thinking you'd have to create some rivals. The same, you'd have to create the deli down the road or the other shop that was the bakery that was that was uh, you have to compete against. Wow! So lo- lots of ideas to choose from there. Yeah. So what is the auspicious prize we're, uh, that we're fighting for tonight, Ben? All right, so we come to the fabulous game show portion of the episode. Um, we will pick our favourite favorite pitch, the game that you'd most like to play in. Uh, Dan, as our guest, would you like to go first? It's a tough one. And I think there's there's quite a lot of similarities between between them. Starfleet as an idea kind of seems to to be quite a fixed point in space, even though there's a little bit of kind of flex around that. It kind of creates a a vibe for for lots of very similar kind of games. But mm. I'm gonna end up, I think, voting for my one um, because I. I, I, and the thing that I like about it is, is that kind of lower decks, you're not the heroes vibe, rather than the kind of heroic bagel careers or the unreplicable, unreplicable bagel defenders, which are, which feels like you're being the heroes. I, I like the idea of in a Star Trek universe or a Starfleet universe, you being the little guy. Awesome. No, that's, that is extremely valid. And good, good confidence. If you if you like your own idea, that's that's always uh, that's always promising. Terry, what's your pick? Um, well, I was going to pick Craig's pitch actually, because the the thing that you know a lot of good ideas, but the the kind of being a, a, a working in your Starbucks and suddenly being completely out of your depth kind of really appeals to me. You know, I think there'd be a lot of a lot of fun uh, with that kind of pitch. Just trying to stay above water constantly. Ordinary folks who are suddenly spies kind of thing. Yeah, thrust into uh, adventure, whether they want to or not. Awesome. All right. And I'm, I confess that the I liked the, the every person kind of angle. And Dan's idea had food. <laughs> It's it's I, I've tried to be. It's got to be a winner. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a good solid reinforcement for that. So yeah, no, it's good incentive, good incentive. So on that on those grounds, I think I will will um, 
I will, will also vote for Dan's pitch for the um, what was the what's the the elevator pitch for that one? That is the you are you're not the heroes. You now you and your party now in a a bagel shop. I suppose I mean on the surface it's, it's a little bit like Craig's anyway. It's got that mm. you're 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 thrust you're you're pushed into that owning a bagel shop, but then you're thrust into the situation of being a part-time hero yes but you you get to you build your own game about being an ordinary hero buffet system yeah and then and then there's yeah improvised miniatures improvise or improvised miniatures what do you call it originally it's sort of like a potluck rpg rather than a no grip yeah no so i mean yeah the, the, the part of the prep is bringing is is deciding what to bring so yeah. yeah, so the buff the the yeah pot like RPG is kind of like a is a is a cool idea. So well, and as as this is as I say, this is a a, a fabulous game show, RPG improvised podcast. And what are our exciting prizes? Indeed, <laughs> indeed, and so in this in this instance, it is it is a, a section of corrupted transporter buffer containing one Chef Elzar Spice Weasel Supreme Bagel, if you can decrypt it and it's not doesn't contain any sort of like um delivery boy uh i'm sure that will be extremely enticing oh makes me feel hungry just hearing about it i think i'm just going to keep it keep it on a keep it on a thumb drive Mm, indeed it's probably a uh, it's probably collectible in some creepy way Uh, yes all right we have had selected for us for um episode 164 an, a prompt that was suggested by Terry called Question the Fog, which is nice and ambiguous. We should get some real, real crazy stuff for that one. So thank you for that, Terry. Yeah, lots of, lots of wild ideas, hopefully. Yeah, that sounds like an excellent prompt. Nice and woolly. <laughs> All right. So for our prompts for episode 195... We are choosing from the following four options. The world of whatever, from John. We can make anything into a dumpling. Anything, from Taz. Swindlers and Guardians, from Terry. And it's all downhill from here, from Anonymous. Awesome. Well, there you go. We have been all over the universe sampling all sorts of delights this episode. And we will... uh, no doubt have a feast of fog questions for you next time so it's now time to say goodbye and thank you for joining us for big red couch 163 starfleet bagels thank you very much to our our special guest dan thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure and i've really enjoyed uh, coming up with the concept and enjoyed tremendously hearing all of the other ideas. And huge thanks to Terry for filling in for our, our stricken regular host. Oh, it's been great fun. Thanks, Ben. And uh, get better soon, Craig. Indeed, indeed. We hope to, hope to have Craig back as soon as possible. And yes, thanks everyone listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, all. Take care. Goodbye. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? 
Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time.